You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do call on you to bless us as we come to these difficult verses and what is really arguably a very difficult chapter of your word. And Father, we pray that you will teach us and open our hearts uh, to uh, the meaning of these verses. But we ask that, Father, your instruction would go far beyond that, that, Father, you would really put these things into our hearts in such a way that, Father, they would really come to uh, influence our lives, to change our lives, to shape and mold our lives. That, Father, we would see how these uh, verses that seem that really are so difficult at the outset really speak mightily to some of our greatest problems. So, Father, we ask that, Lord, you would bless us and uh, teach us, instruct us, guide us, encourage us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I don't say a whole lot about the ARP, and that's really by design. My, um, My mission here is not to promote a particular denomination or a particular uh, church. Uh, I think my my assignment here is to promote the gospel. Uh, but that having been said, uh, this uh, this is a congregation of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, and uh, there are occasions where I think it's good just to share some things. And by way of introduction, I think this is one of those opportunities um, where. Uh, uh, you might find this inter- interesting, and there will be a point somewhere along the line that I'll point it out to you in case it becomes so blurred that no one even has any idea. But um, some of you, uh, as I look around the room, I see some of you were at the Presbytery meeting in Steubenville where you got to see at least um, some of the members of our local Presbytery. And uh, we belong to what we call the Northeast Presbytery. There are other Presbyteries scattered throughout the United States, and we have uh, churches scattered around the world for that matter. And one of the things that you got to see there was there was a young man who's a student of theology, uh, got the opportunity to preach his what we call Presbytery Sermon. And um, if, if, um, you know, if Chris here decided, if he really felt like God was calling him to pulpit ministry, and I'm not trying to sign you up, Chris, just picking on you because you kind of stick out, you know, you stick up a bit there. Um, but at any rate, um, all kidding aside, let's suppose Chris, for example, he may really f- believed his measure of faith that he's being called to ministry. 
Well, there, there's a process that we have. It's a wonderful process. And the process goes like this. Chris would say something to me or to Donald or to Brian Tritt. And, um, and what we begin inviting Chris to session meetings, we'd begin to pray for Chris. Then eventually we would have Chris up here reading scripture and doing different things. And, and um, as a group, we would begin to discern uh, Chris's call. And uh, if we were pretty convinced to our measure of faith, yeah, Chris is being called to pulpit ministry. We think we'd be being called to some ministry context for sure. Well, then session would in, would bring Chris to a presbytery meeting, so Chris could uh, meet the folks at presbytery, the other pastors and other ruling elders at presbytery, and um, uh, Chris would come under care as what would, a student of theology. Now, if Chris wanted to become a pastor today, he probably, depending on where he's at with his academic requirements, uh, probably couldn't happen for at least three or four years. We don't get in a big hurry about that, and that's also by design. And it's not as simple as just going and passing some tests or going through some coursework in a seminary somewhere. Um, Chris would be assigned some mentors and Chris would, um, there would be some folks that would talk with him from time to time. And, and uh, one of the things Chris would be required to do is come and preach probably two sermons at Presbytery. And uh, that's one of the most nerve wracking parts of this whole process. And uh, I just share that with you, you know, by way of introduction. Uh, what, what I'm going to share with you this morning, the, the homiletical point, if you will, the main point I want to get across this morning is a point that um, I shared when I preached my Presbytery sermon uh, at the Church of Atonement, which is uh, our largest English-speaking church in our Presbytery. It's in Silver Springs, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. And it's, it was an experience I'll never, ever forget, nor will I forget the knee-knocking that led all the way up to that experience. But uh, it's just a wonderful experience to be able to do a service with another pastor. And, of course, we had communion there and, my, my role was to bring the word that uh, at that service and the, the uh, pastor, Kurt Young, he, he officiated the communion in a similar way, which many of you saw uh, at Presbytery. Um, but um, at any rate, the point that I made at that uh, at that sermon, it was on Romans six, by the way, that was the text that I chose to preach on at the Church of the Atonement. And uh, some of you may remember uh, this goes back uh, about 12 years, I guess, uh, on the on the TV. You couldn't hardly turn the TV on and not hear one of those advertisements for the armed services. that would say, be all that you can be. Remember that? Be all that you can be. And the idea was if you enlisted in the service, then the service would help you reach your full potential. You know, you'd have all these opportunities before you, and you could reach your full potential. And I'm not picking on that. It's a great thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. And many people go into the service and, and uh, find careers there and, and what have you. Um, but the gospel is not um, be all that you can be. The gospel message is not, okay, everyone try harder. <laughs> that, that's not the gospel message. Actually, that, remember, gospel means good news. You, uh, you know, it means good news. Does that sound like good news to you? Okay, everyone, um, I want you to try harder. You know, we're not trying hard enough, you know. And the next week, we'll do it again. Well, we need to try harder. Well, that's what you told us last week. Well, um, 
next week comes, hey, everyone, we got to try harder. That's what you've been telling us for the last couple weeks. I mean, how much harder can I try? It's not going to be long before we're going to start falling away from this idea. It's not good news. Now, the, the good news of the gospel is not about trying harder with our old lives. The good news of the gospel is receiving a new life in Christ Jesus. The good news of the gospel isn't be all that you can be. The good news of the gospel is be all that God has made you to be. And that was the point that I made in my sermon, in my presbytery sermon. Be all that God has made you to be. Now, I want to pick up on another theme that probably most of us are familiar with today. I want to interject another theme here. And it's just a single word. It's the word bundle. How many have heard the word bundle? It's used all the time, isn't it? You've ever noticed that? Like everything's a bundle now, you know. It's like out of the blue, this bundle thing shows up. And everything's a bundle, you know. In the fall, I bought a computer. And it was a bundle. You know, what's the bundle? Well, you got the computer. You got a uh, wireless mouse, which is really cool. You got... Uh, one-year subscription to Kapersky, which is an antivirus software, and you get one-year subscription to Office, and that's all part of the bundle. You know? So if you, if you buy the computer, you get everything. You, know, you get everything that's included. And we could talk, and I would, I, I'm, I'm resisting the temptation to, to digress here, but let me just say, you know, there's, we're seeing all this bundle stuff because there's a lot of advantages for companies to put things in a bundle. For example, let me just say one thing by digression. The computer that, I, that we bought, I love it, but the, the mouse that's built on it, some of you don't like those laptop mouses anyway, do you? I mean, they're kind of hard, but I actually do like them. I've never had any trouble with them. But this one is one of the ones that kind of works like a smartphone or a tablet where you can go like, you, know, you can do this thing with your fingers that you guys are all like really good at, but us older folks aren't so good at. You can do this thing and like, Listen, some of you could just probably have no trouble with this, but I, it drives me bonkers. And I think that's why they threw in the wireless mouse, you know, uh, because the wireless mouse is, just works perfect. But at any rate, there's usually advantages to the company to offer these bundles. That doesn't mean they're bad deals, but that's why we're seeing bundles so much. But with the word bundle in our minds here, the Apostle Paul, I think if he were preaching on Romans 6 in this culture right now, I have a sneaking suspicion that he would be talking about a bundle. Why do I say that? Because he's been showing us that salvation isn't only about justification. And sometimes I think we think, you know, okay, salvation's all about how we can stand in God's court and... Uh, and be able to stand in relationship with God without being condemned. And that's what salvation is about. Well, justification is so very, very important. I'm not minimizing the importance of it. But what Paul has been teaching us in Romans 6 is, listen, you've received a bundle. You didn't just get a computer, you got a wireless mouse here. And, you know, follow through and load that Kapersky and get that set up because you're going to need it. It's very important. Antivirus software. And your subscription to Office, you're going to need that to do anything with the computer. So get that, get that set up. What Paul is saying here is we've got a bundle. What is the bundle? Well, we could, we could talk about it in so many different ways with so many different descriptions. Let me just give you a couple. Paul is going to teach us that we didn't just receive justification. We've received 
sanctification. Okay, that gets the $10 words out of the way. Uh, we didn't just receive justification, we received sanctification. We'll talk more about that as we go along. Romans 6 through 8 speaks a lot about sanctification. Let me give you another example. We didn't just receive faith, we received repentance. If you talk to somebody who says they have faith but they don't have repentance, well, they don't, don't, don't say they don't have faith because they do have faith. They just don't have saving faith. There is a faith out there. It's a mental assent. It's just storing up the details of the gospel and saying, yeah, okay, I agree, they're true, uh, but yet not trusting it and putting our hearts trust in them. That is indeed a type of faith. Unfortunately, it's, a, it's not a saving type of faith. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is a bundle. It includes repentance. True saving faith includes repentance. Repentance is different than faith. Just like a wireless mouse is different than a computer. Uh, But they come together. You don't have one without the other. In other words, if you really believe Jesus is who he says he is, then you also believe that you are who he says you are too, in need of a Savior. And without repentance, we can't really appropriate Christ as our Savior. But let me give you more specific about Romans 6. Paul's talking about a bundle here. And the bundle is death, life, empowerment. Death, life, and empowerment. If you're in Christ Jesus, Paul has told us that we have died with Christ. If we just, by way of review, we've been talking about that a lot. If you look at verse 2, Paul says, well, let's, let's think of why is Paul giving us verse 2? It's because of a statement that he's made way back in chapter 5 and verse 20. He says that the law has come to increase the trespass. He's writing to people who are trusting in the law for righteousness. And there's very few things I think Paul could say that would be more controversial than this. I mean, this is going to cause people to dig their heels in the ground and to, and to, 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 to say, whoa, whoa, wait a second, enough of this. Paul says that the law has come to increase the trespass but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that as soon as we hear about the law, and we'll get into this when we get into Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, I didn't even know what it was to covet until the law come along and said, you shall not covet. But then when the law comes and said, you shall not covet, what did I want to do all the more? And my, my favorite example for that is that piano that used to be done. Some of us remember the piano that was down in the hallway downstairs when we were meeting downstairs. This piano sat in the hallway forever. No one paid any attention to it until someone come along and put a sign on the piano, don't touch. Oh, after you put the sign on the piano, don't touch, we couldn't keep our fingers off of that thing. Why? Because the law increases the trespass when the law is given to people who can't behave. What does the law do? It makes us want to be worse. It makes us worse. But what Paul is saying is where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And we'll say, what? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul, if you preach that stuff, then why don't we just say, listen, let's just go on sinning that grace may abound all the more. Hey, listen, finding God's forgiveness is fun. It's wonderful. It's great. It's joyous. Let's just keep on sinning so we can find God's forgiveness over and over and over again. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul couldn't use more uh, stronger language if he wanted to here. He said, by no means. God forbid. And then he says, do you not know, verse 6, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So there's death. Verse 3, all of us who have been baptized in Christ were baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried with him. 
Verse five, we've been united with him in a death like his. Verse six, we were crucified with him. Verse seven, uh, one who has died has been set free. Verse eight, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. You think Paul's trying to emphasize something here? Death, 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 death. It's part of the bundle. It's part of the bundle. If you're truly in Christ, you died with Christ. It's part of the bundle. Well, what that, what's that death all about? Well, we, we spend a lot of time. We, we have to spend a lot of time on that. We can't just go over that quickly. What's that death about? That death is the death of the old person in Adam. When we're born into this, when we're born into this world, we're born into Adam. And what is this death? This death is the death of the person in Adam. Let me give you an example here. I want to be careful with this example. You'll know why when I, when I say it. When I first came to faith, people who were re- are really close to me, these are people I love very dearly, and they are very close to me. They couldn't figure out what had happened to me. I couldn't figure out what was happening to me either. But one of them, I can't remember who, but one of them said, we've got a theory. What we think has happened is aliens have come and taken the old Rick away and they left us with this. Now, we're quite confident that after they spend some time with the old Rick, they'll be back to make the switch and we'll get the old Rick back. Now, uh, all kidding aside, and please don't, nobody leave here think I believe in aliens, okay? I don't what was this sermon about? I don't know. I don't remember a thing. He babbled. He talked about little green men and then he closed in prayer. I don't know what it was about. It's not about little green men. They didn't, my friends, my loved ones didn't know how to explain what was going on. But you know what? They weren't far away. Get rid of the alien stuff. They realized that something has happened here that's radical. Paul doesn't talk about aliens. Paul talks about a death. The old is gone. I mean, I suddenly couldn't really do all the stuff I used to do. I mean, I could, but I could. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you do all the stuff you used to be able to do? Well, you could. Would you? Yeah, there's this new operating principle in our hearts. You see, we've died to that. You know, the old person in Adam. We're born into Adam. There's been a death. That old person has died. Now, death is part of the bundle. Another part of the bundle is life, and it's implied where it's not explicitly stated. It's implied if we start with verse 2. Paul says, how can we who died still live? Obviously, he's talking about a death, but a death that, uh, that has taken place. Somehow this death has taken place, but yet the recipient of this death is still alive. Uh, so there's new life beyond this death. It's implied in verse 2. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, obviously, life is implied here because obviously the recipient is still alive. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. That's the other part of the bundle. It's life. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There it is, resurrection. We know, verse 6, that our self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved. Okay, whatever this new life is, okay, it's, it's, there's some freedom from enslavement to sin. 
Verse 7 reinforces verse 6. For the one who has died has been set free. The one who has died has been free. The one who has died is walking in this freedom. A life is implied. Verse 8, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, wonderful verse. Uh, I was originally going to just speak on verse 9 this morning. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. What does that mean? Well, Paul wants us to realize that Christ's death on the cross is not like Lazarus' death, for example. You know, some of you will remember the story. Lazarus dies, he's in, buried, he's in the tomb for four days. Jesus comes. What's Jesus do? This is Lazarus. Come out. He speaks. You know, God speaks. And Lazarus does what? He comes walking out in his grave clothes, doesn't he? Did Lazarus die again? You know, I was thinking about this earlier this week. I never really thought about it, but that guy had to die twice. Death is really hard to do at once. This fellow had to do it twice. I guess he had some idea what it was about, I suppose, but I don't want to do that twice. Once is enough. Um, Jesus' resurrection is not like that, is it? Jesus is raised. We know that, what's Paul say? Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That was the subject I wanted to get into this morning, is the fact that death had dominion over the Son of God. We'll maybe do that on Easter. Because the more I thought about it, the more, man, this would be a good Easter message. You know, Easter's not even close, but it's on the back burner. <laughs> okay? I, I just think we need to move on in Romans 6. We've been in here for a while. Um, Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. Here's this this life. What we need to see here is that the resurrection of Christ is the source of this life. Paul says it so much when in Ephesians, when he says that all of us who, you know, who are in Christ have been raised with Christ. We've been raised in him in the heavenly places. The resurrection of Christ is the source of, of this new life. Now, back to Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 for a moment. And notice the tenses here. Paul says in Romans 8 that if we died with Christ, okay, notice that's past tense, right? Again, Paul isn't speaking to the world here. He's speaking to the church, the church in Rome. He's speaking to believers here. Uh, Because if we're still in the world, if we're still in our sins, this death hasn't taken place. But speaking to believers, Paul says if we have died with Christ... Okay, past tense. The believer has died with Christ. Okay. We believe that we will also live with him. Notice that's in future. That's future tense, isn't it? The death is in past tense. Um, the rest is in future tense. And this has led a lot of commentators to say, okay, what Paul's talking about is the resurrection of all believers at the Perusia when Jesus returns. Okay, um, I think that's 100% correct, but I think if that's all we say about this verse, we're not catching on to what Paul's up to here. Because this future benefit that awaits us has a present benefit for us. We'll say, well, Rick, that sounds wonderful, but how can you say that? Well, I can say that because of three things. Context, context, and what's the third? Context. What is the context? Paul is talking about the present, isn't he? 
Shall we go on sinning? Let's not lose, let's not lose that because Paul's explaining this. You say that let's sin that grace may abound. That's the objection. Paul, you preach this nonsense, says his opponents. And people are just going to go sinning and say, now let's sin all the more that grace may abound. Paul says, by no means. And he sets forth. He's still in this explanation. He's talking about the present, the here and the now. And by looking forward to this wonderful benefit where we're all going to get these glorious resurrection bodies that we're going to have without the assistance of a gymnasium, we're going to get these glorious resurrection bodies. Uh, wonderful news. Glorified bodies. Bodies we're going to be happy with. Bodies we're going to, they're going to be glorious. But Paul wants us to see that there's a present benefit of this right now. Right here and right now. What is that benefit? That's the third part of the bundle. It's empowerment. Death. Life. What's the third? Empowerment. Empowerment. Why does this matter? Is this just a fun thing to do for theology nerds that like this kind of stuff? Well, yes, it is fun thing to do for theology nerds. Some of you are smiling and revealing you that you're a theology nerd. Uh, it is fun things for theology nerds. But when you become a Christian, do you, are you made perfect right away? <laughs> Um, what do you discover about yourself actually when you become a Christian? Is it pleasant? There's no one who does good. That comes from somewhere in the Bible, doesn't it? Anybody remember where? Romans 3. And as we begin to walk with Christ, do, do we find, what do we discover about ourselves? We discover that we're worse than we initially thought, don't we? And we also discover that, wow, this sin stuff is not easy to overcome. And sometimes it gets the best of us, doesn't it? And one of the most painful things, I think, in the Christian life that we, that we go through in this pilgrimage is the pain of reoccurring sin. Okay, we sin, we repent. Then we do it again. Same exact thing. And we repent. And we do it again. Same exact thing. And we repent. Has anybody ever gone through that? And have you ever felt like this? How can I keep asking God to forgive me when I keep doing exactly the same thing? That's why this matters. That's why I'm taking so much time in it. Because this is a problem that everyone in this room has, isn't it? Including yours truly. Starting with yours truly. Sometimes I think of the way, some of the things that I've said, some of the ways that I've felt. And I think to myself, how can you feel this way? How can you say these things? After all these years of walking with the Lord, how can you do this? Some of this is stuff I... You ever notice a lot of it's stuff we wrestled with when we were still in our sins? It kind of carries over. God takes some of it away, but... Some of it, he, some of it in his divine wisdom, he doesn't take away. And there we are, we're left to wrestle with it. This is where empowerment comes in. What's Paul want us to see here? He wants us to see that you've received a bundle. If you're in Christ Jesus, you didn't just get justification of sins, past, present, and future. You've also 
receive sanctification. That means God's going to make you like Jesus, more and more like Jesus. We'll talk a lot about that. Paul wants us to see that we didn't just die with Jesus. We've also been raised in newness of life with Jesus. And Paul wants us to see that in this bundle, we've received empowerment. Let me put it to you another way. What Paul wants us to see is what God has made us to be. How do we overcome these sins that are occurring over and over again? Look at verse 11. We've looked at this verse. What's Paul say there? You also what? Must. You must. The ESV is putting must in there to show us that this is something we have to do. We have to do this. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. You need to remember the bundle. When you're having trouble with that wireless mouse, or you're having trouble rather with the mouse that's on the computer, don't, don't get all upset uh, with Lenovo. Don't get all upset with the manufacturing. They threw in the wireless mouse. You see, you plug the little doodad in the side, you turn the thing on, it's got a little red light, and everything's wonderful. Don't forget that you've got that. Make sure your Kapersky's turned on. You got that with the deal, remember? We didn't just die with Christ so that we could stand in God's court. We did die with Christ. We can stand in God's court. Praise be to God for that. But you must not only consider yourselves dead, but also alive. That's part of the bundle. What exactly has God made us into here? That's the subject, isn't it? What exactly has God made us into? He's made us into new new creatures. Nothing short of being new creatures. And what are the implications of this? That's what Paul sets forth beginning with verse 12. He says, don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The word reign here is very important. Don't lose track of that word reign. Kings reign. Okay, what this means, it doesn't mean that we... Get sinless perfection out of your head. That's not what this is teaching. Many have stumbled over this and said, look, what Paul's teaching here is sinless perfection. That's Romans 7 is going to clearly denunciate that. Okay, we're in this lifetime. We're not yet glorified. We're going to sin. But what Paul is saying is don't let it rain. Don't let it rain. Um, you know... thought I had a quote here from somebody I didn't write it down probably thinking I'd remember it but I don't remember it if it comes to me I'll share with it but this whole idea of reigning um, letting sin reign I don't want anyone to leave here this morning saying well you know I've sinned and I've done this and I've done that and I must be letting sin reign and um, you know if if you've sinned and you've gone to God and you've sought his forgiveness and you're in the midst of this battle with sin and you're fighting it and you're fighting it for God's glory. You're not who Paul's talking about here. Um, we can, as Christians, fall into habits where 
you know, it would appear that sin is reigning in our lives. We can backslide and we can fall even to a great degree where for a period of time it appears that sin is reigning. If that were the case, then I would say verse 12 is a serious warning shot for us. But for the person who's walking with Jesus and the person who's living to serve Jesus, the person who is um, actively striving to, to live a life that's pleasing and is very sensitive to his or her sin, I think verse 12 could give you the wrong idea. And I don't want to place a burden on you that I don't think is there. If you have backslidden and you're fallen, first of all, if you've backslidden and you've fallen as far as I'm suggesting, you're not sitting here this morning, but you could be sitting here this morning at the very early stages of it. That's a possibility. If it is, then verse 12 is a warning shot. Um, but Paul is talking about sin. Shall we sin? Shall we go on sinning? Remember the context. Shall we go on sinning? The grace may abound. Paul's saying, listen, don't let that reign in your... You can't let that reign. You can't take that. You can't take that position. You've died to that. Is that clear? Don't let sin reign. Hold on to the word reign. Ask yourself, is sin really reigning in my life? In other words, are my desires bent on sinning? That's the question we need to ask. And that's what Paul's saying. Uh, verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Why? Because we've been empowered. We've been empowered. Remember the bundle. Death to sin. Life uh, in Christ Jesus. Empowerment. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What's that mean? I think the easiest way to explain that is just to give an example. Uh, fellas, we got eyes, don't we? And um, we don't have to go very far to find attractive ladies, do we? Now, when you're going through the course of the day, um, when you leave here, it's not going to be very long before you're going to see an attractive lady. Now, if you're pumping gas and you have a look, and there she is, she's pumping gas in her car next to you, the first look, hey, you, 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 weren't, you, you weren't looking for this kind of thing. But that second glance, what about that second glance? What's that all about? That's taking the eyes. You know, the members that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, which we read in 1 Corinthians 12, that's taking the eyes, members of the body, and offering them as tools or instruments for unrighteousness, isn't it? Gossip, we could say that about gossip. You know, Facebook. If you got the latest on Joseph Smith, ooh, what's that? Really? You really want to know what people are saying about this person? Yeah, I haven't been on Facebook. Recently, I'm like a phantom guy. I don't have anything about myself. I'm just like, I think I, I, I put in born July 3rd, 1967, and I tried the best to try to get it back out of there after I put it in. I can't figure out how to get it back out of there, but... Whatever. That's all it says about me. Rick Anderson, B, July 3rd, 1967. I'm like a phantom guy. But I poked around on there a little bit and found exactly what I suspected. People spending all kind of time on such trivial things. You know, I could take a photo of a leaf flying through the wind and post it, and everybody would be spending huge portions of their day gawking at this picture of a leaf rustling around in the wind. And um, But... 
you know, have you heard the latest on Joe? Have you heard the latest on Susie? Have you heard the latest on... Uh, uh, we jump in and follow all that. We're using ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. There's no way really to defend that, is there? We don't know if it's true. How often is it untrue? I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm just trying to show how important this is. Um, Paul's saying, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. The next thing that he says is present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. When I make this next comment, I don't want you to think that I have risen to such heights, that this is what I do. But I will say that I would like to rise to such heights. And praise be to God that like um, one of these days we will be there. But last week when we were in our Bible study on Wednesday night talking about the ninth commandment, there was a quote from one of the Puritans. I don't remember if it was from Flavel or Vincent or one of the quotes that what do we do when we hear a good, re- a bad report about our neighbor? Do you guys remember that? Some of you who are with us. Um, I think there are copies of the quote on the table back here from last week's Bible study, the table in the hallway. Um, I think it was Flavel that said it. You know, first thing we do when we hear a re- report about somebody, a bad report, is we grieve. That's presenting yourself as an instrument to God. We don't gloat. We don't jump in to get all the details. We grieve for this person. Man, that's just not, that's a high, it's a high one, isn't it? But you want to know something? You want to know the good news here? Think about the bundle. Death. Life, empowerment, empowerment to grieve upon hearing the report of bad news. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Paul saying, remember the bundle. Now, when I say this is a big height, that I, I don't want you to think, well, when Rick hears these things, this is what Rick does. You know. Uh, no, it isn't. Always what Rick does. Sometimes, to my shame, I do what everyone else does. But here's the news. Here's the good news that we need to leave with and we need to internalize. When I do these things I shouldn't do, I am not being who God has made me to be. I'm acting like the old Rick Anderson who died. And my friends could say, you know, there there he's back. The aliens have brought him back. I knew they'd get sick of him. The good news in all this is we've actually received empowerment to reach those heights. You see, the thing about the folks that run around preaching sinless perfection, don't dismiss them altogether completely. I did that for a long time, so I continued to study Romans 6, and you know something? The possibility is here to live an extraordinarily holy life. And oftentimes, whenever we, whenever we argue against the sinless perfection folks, I'm fearful that we're actually arguing for a license 
to continue to sin. Let's think about the bundle that we've received. Empowerment to do so comes in verse 14. Paul says, sin will have no dominion over you. Can you hear that? Sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean? Does that mean we can leave here and be lawless? Do whatever we want? No, what it means is this, and I close with this. The law tells us what we should do. But does the law empower us to do what we should do? Put a do not touch sign on something and watch how many fingers can keep off of it. The law, we're going to see in Romans 7 when we get there. The law, what's it do? It turns up in this in our hearts this desire to disobey it, especially as Americans. Do we like following authority much? We're cowboys and cowgirls. We don't want authority. That's what other nations call us. Tim Meek told me a long time ago, the Canadians call us cowboys. There might be some Canadians listening to this message after a bit and probably give a big amen. There's a cowboy admitting to being a cowboy. Hey, hey, fellas, listen to this. The law tells us what we should do, but it doesn't help us do it. But grace, grace empowers us to do it. That's the good news. So it's not try harder. Do we need to try? Absolutely we need to try. Of course we've got to try. But Paul never tells us once here to try harder, does he? No, he says you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He points us to the bundle. And by pointing us to the bundle, he's pointing us to who God has made us to be. And he's just saying, listen, that's not, that's just not the way this family functions. You're just not functioning. That's not the way this family functions. That's not what God has done for you. What God has done to you, He's empowered you to rise above this. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for uh, this Word. and Father, we thank You, Father, for these verses in Romans 6. Uh, Father, we thank You, Lord, that, uh, Father, You have truly made us into new creatures in Christ Jesus. And as we have these talks, Father, they're difficult because they remind us of so many things that, Father, we don't want reminded of. We don't want reminded of our failings. Father, they're painful to us. And the fact that they're painful to us, we know is good. For if we were still in the world, they wouldn't be painful to us, at least in the way they're painful to us now. Father, we have sinned against you. And Father, we know that we've brought... um, We've, we've brought uh, opportunities to grieve your Holy Spirit. Uh, but Father, we thank you that you are so merciful and so gracious and so kind. That, Father, you have given us this word. It's hard to understand, but as we begin to understand it, we see that you've given us this bundle of death, life, and empowerment. And Father, help us to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to sin, um, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Help us to consider this. Help us to do this, O Father, as we leave here this morning. Help us, O Father, to reckon ourselves, as we said in an earlier message, reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God 
in Christ Jesus, that we would truly see who we are, who you've made us to be. And as we go forth from this place, Father, uh, lead us to be what you have made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.